Bang bang. Welcome to the potty is brought to you by Bet with Joel, the best in sports betting advice. Bet with Joel sends you all of the all of the best bets that he can find to give you the edge over the bookmakers. He does all the all the research for you. And straight to your email, he'll send you what bet to take, which bookmaker has the best odds for it, how much of your bankroll to bet on the bet, and why he thinks he's got the odds on the bookmaker, why he thinks he's got the edge, and what the odds should actually be. Now, you tell me that you can do that. You tell me that there's any service offering that much information, all right? Now, do you have a job, dude? Supplement your income. Put put some money aside, play bet with Joel, and I'll tell you this, you are going to, you're going to come up. Go to his website, you're going to see the trends. He's got graphs and everything. It's science, bro. This guy used to be, you know, a full-time better, and he got he got blackballed from all the sites because he was winning too much. So now instead of betting, he bets for you. He does the research for you, you win the money. So if you sign up to bet with Joel, you can go uh Bronze, silver, gold, black, AFL packages. There's all types of packages, global packages. Look at what package best suits you. Sign up at betwithjoel.com slash ref slash welcome to the potty. That's betwithjoel.com slash ref slash welcome to the potty. Enter promo code potty exclusive 50. That's potty exclusive 50 for 50% off your first week subscription. Welcome to the potty is also brought to you by Phoenix Fitness, that's FNX Fitness. Do you have sore knees like your boy? Get some fucking krill oil. You know, get that get that fish oil lathering up your bones, dude. You, dude, are you, have you got a fucking weak frame, dude? Is your nickname Framework, ironically, because you're a skinny motherfucker? Get some protein powder from Phoenix Fitness. Creatine, fucking, skinny shakes or whatever they do bro phoenix fitness check the link in the episode description or the link in bio enter promo code potty for uh i think 15 percent discount dude now that's that's savings bro savings for your body for your biceps and if you want to support the welcome to the potty podcast directly go to welcome to the potty.com slash store and buy yourself a butter soft welcome to the potty t-shirt i'm telling you these these shirts are soft as hell bruh soft as hell these sh- these shirts vote fucking you know very liberal they're very left wing they're soft as a motherfucker these shirts are soft welcome to the potty.com slash store let's start the show welcome to the Welcome to the potty, bung bung! It's your man Claytron, aka the big boss man, aka the clumsy jeweler, cause I'm always dropping gems. Aka the milkman, cause I always deliver. Aka the PhD of podcasting, the Magnum PR of podcasting, the Doogie Hauser of podcasting. And we're here today with Roshan Kodadine. Is that right? That's right, Clay. Not not Kodadict. No, no, no. I think you just go by Kodad and in. Yeah. Kodad in. Yeah. And you are, um, you're the brother-in-law of Steve Coombe, friend of the show. Oh, He's Steve, Steve Calvin. Steve Calvin Coombe. 
He's the um, resident NBA analyst of the Welcome to the Potty podcast. So we haven't really had him on much this year because of the coronavirus. And the, the NBA has been suspended since, I think, around... When did it all pop off? Like March? Yeah, I think around March, end of March. That's when they decided to pull the plug on everything. Yeah. But hopefully... Good news. Yesterday, the border is coming up. Yeah. The SA is opening their border. 20th of July. 20th of July. I think end of July, the NBA starts again as well. Excellent. Footy I'm started sure two days ago. Cr- the crowds are, so would they have... They're not doing crowds. So, yeah. so in Australia, we're doing like 2,000 people for football, right? I know. Uh, did you watch no. the match? I was watching it and... I'm not sure how you feel about the noise in the background. It was fake noise, I right? I just thought it shit. I oh, really? five minutes and that was it. Oh, okay. I, it just didn't match. And I yeah. feel like you can't feel the atmosphere. Yeah. So I'm not sure whether I'll watch football again now. And there wasn't much... Um, it was a low-scoring game too. So do you think that the players had less energy? Um, I think the problem is if you're playing in an empty stadium... There's nobody there to cheer you up. Yeah. Doesn't matter how much noise you have in the background, it's all fake noise. Yeah. I I feel personally they should have been playing some music. Mm. They should have a playlist going, get some music pumping, get those players going. Yeah. It's like a it's more of a scratch match than a real football game. I agree. It looks like they were just training. And you're a you're a nurse. Yes. So working in Adelaide over coronavirus. Did that? Well, you almost got laid off. You would have no work almost. <laughs> no, I was one of the lucky one because I'm permanent. Mm. So, which means that they were going to honor our contract. So I still had bad shift, but we couldn't do any extra hours. Mm. And I guess a lot of the hospital have had their own management plan. Some of the casual got laid off. Mm. But some of the casual got brought back in as the restrictions start easing. But the good thing is, I guess the government did a good thing as well by providing those job seekers. Yeah. And what's what's your take on, on Corona? Like, do you think it was an overreaction? I don't think it was an overreaction. I think Corona is real. And like some people think it's not. Mm-hmm. It's just fake. But I guess uh, also Corona has teached us quite a lot of things. Yeah. For example, in oncology, people that get readmitted with sepsis, we've seen a big decline there. Mm -hmm. And the cold and flu, we haven't had a lot. That's because everybody went and got the vaccine. Yeah, okay. And Corona has shown that social distancing works, Mm. hand hygiene works. And these are all the things that we should have been thinking beforehand, before Corona. Why don't we have hand sanitizers at the entrance of all supermarket? Mm. Yeah. Why was they not wiping those trolleys before? And it just shows that with a bit of thinking, pulling yourself back, reassessing and said, okay, how did we manage and how can we prevent this from happening? It'll be hand hygiene, social distancing. Okay, we can get back to together at some point. And it's also people thinking about it. If I've got a cold, a flu, do I need to go out in the pub? Yeah. So, or if I'm, if I feel unwell, stay home. Yeah. I think that's 
the take home message following this coronavirus thing, I would say, it's made us a, a bit more aware of envi- environment. And I wonder if businesses, when their you know their leases come up, I wonder if they do renew their leases or if they say, well, look, we've found out that we're perfectly capable of having our employees work from home. But that would be very interesting. Yeah. Because I think now you will see there will be a lot of company will be reevaluating and said, okay, did we actually need to have those 10 people in an office? Yeah. What, Can like, yeah, if, are we just babysitting them? Exactly. If, if they can do the work, why, why do we have to have them all in the same place? Exactly. If and you need help, you've got, you've got phones, you can call somebody. Exactly. And one good example would be the telemedicine mm-hmm. that we've been doing for the GP practice. Yes. Now, this system's been there way before coronavirus. Yeah. And they were using it to do telehealth with people from the country. Now, a GP practice can be a lot more efficient if you can contact your GP directly. Yeah. Rather than you go there, call the reception, book an appointment, go there, wait for 10, 20 minutes, you waste a whole hour of your day to see your GP. Yeah. Whereas with telemedicine, you book your appointment, you come online, do your consult, 10 minutes. Yes, there would also be some time when you would need to be physically there. Yeah. So you've got, this ear, is, you've got an ear thing I need to look in. Exactly. So if you need a wooden dressing or an injection, yes, you need to be there. But do you actually need to have face-to-face all the time? Mm. The answer is no. Yeah. And I think that's hopefully a lot of business would reevaluate and say, how can we be more efficient? And also what we're finding is with coronavirus, we outsource a lot of our produce. Mm. Uh, a lot of our materials we've been outsourcing that it's been going overseas now can we produce this in australia yeah that and that's something specifically where my where i know it is the steel industry is that we mine the the ore yeah we send it to china and then they do they treat it and we buy it back we sell it cheap and we buy it back at these just ridiculously inflated prices. That's not good for our economy, that's good for China's economy. And if we've got the materials here, obviously, like clearly we don't have the infrastructure to do it and we'd have to build all these things. It wouldn't be good for our our blue, our blue green footprint and all of that stuff, but... Um, well, I guess it will be good for our green footprint because we're trying to minimize green gases. Mm-hmm. So by sending it to China, we're creating more green gas on the boat and on the plane it's going. Yeah. Whereas if you mine it, drive it 10k down the road, process it, have your steel, and then ship it straight from there. Yeah. Your distributors, you're reducing so much green gas. Yeah. And you're creating more job for Australia. So I know there's a free trade. Somebody will come and say, oh, we need to do free trade. But the reality is, we are a country that could be self-sufficient. Yeah. Why are we not doing it? Mm. Just to maintain relationships, probably, at this point, really. Yeah, but the relationship yeah. is always rocking, but... Yeah. So, and it's the same thing. I'll give you an example. With the price of lamb at the moment, mm. Australian are not eating lamb because it's a lot 
it's better for us to sell it. Yeah. We get more money selling it than eating it ourselves. Yeah. So that's just going to create a price rise in everything. Mm. Meat is just gone ridiculous these days. So what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. Did, and you're a nurse. Yeah. So what, do you have a, a specialty? Yeah, I work in oncology. Okay. Yeah. And so oncology is cancer services. So I just fell in there by accident. Yeah. And I'll give you a bit of history where I come yeah. from. Yeah. Okay. So uh, as a nurse, when I started my training, I didn't have a clue where to go in. So once I qualified, I went around to eight speciality, mm-hmm. gave them my CV and said, guys, I'd like to come and work with you. So the oncology manager called me the next day and said, oh, do you want to come for an interview? Went in, did my interview as I was walking out. So when can you start? I said, Monday. Bang. And I'm going to look back. Yeah. How long ago was that? Ah, oh, 2004. Okay. So that's how it's, Jesus, nearly 20 years were already. Yeah, uh, 16 years. 16 years, wow. And did you did you study here? No, I study in the UK. Okay. So I trained in the UK. So originally from Mauritius. Yeah, the Mauritius Marauder. <laughs> oh, no, it's not a Marauder. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to take a plane, not a boat, to the UK. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy to go by a plane. But yeah, I went there and decided... I don't know if you remember the series ER. Yes, George yeah. Clooney. Oh, yep. Yeah. But I thought, oh shit, I'm going to be in ER. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember the first day I went into the hospital, I came back. I thought, oh shit, it's not like ER. Yeah. It's like the reality when you're in this hospital. You, you know, when you're watching ER, the adrenaline rush that you were getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the hospital, in the emergency department, where I was in London because it was a trauma. So, like, we have all the road traffic accidents that will come in. And it was like, whoa, did I make the right choice? Yeah. I wanted to run away on my third day. Oh, really? Yeah. You saw, you saw a lot? I saw quickly. a lot. And I think I had one day where we had to do some wound dressing. And when you're walking home, all you could see is this wound. Yeah. And What type of wound was it? Uh, it was a deep pressure sore and it was horrible. Like, yeah. We were to the point where I had to literally pack a good I mean, 30 centimeter dressing in there. What happened to this person? Oh, that was a person that was in hospital for a long time, but then with the developed complication. Yeah. So, I, so is this like what you call like a bed sore? Yep. It was a bed sore. So then so just it was pressure sore. Were they overweight? No. It was people post up, you know how people doesn't mobilize and following surgery sometimes. Oh. Unfortunately, you get complication over and over. There was one of those cases. So on the way home, I just thought, oh, I can't do that. And the next day, I went in and I saw my mentor. I remember this girl, Louise. I said to her, look, I think I'm not cut for that. So she took me away and had a chat with me and said, you spent six months at uni already and it's your third day. I would just say to you, 
just find something positive in your day mm-hmm. and find something that you feel happier than of the day you've done today and we'll work it out from there. If after a week you haven't been able to find a positive or you haven't felt happy, then quit. I, now that's good advice and that's advice that I give to my clients all the time because they, you know, they, they'll come in and I'll say, you know, how, how's your week been? Oh, terrible week, terrible week this week. I'll say, okay, what happened? And they'll say one thing and I'll say, okay, what day was that? Oh, Tuesday. I'll say, okay, what about Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? What happened on those days? Mm. Oh, that was all right. I was like, so your week, your week was all right. Uh, After speaking to her, I went out and found something positive. It just got better. Mm. I never looked back. You can't let one moment ruin your whole day or one yeah. day ruin your whole week or anything like that yeah and, and from this i just i can put my hand in wounds or anything now like yeah do you get a lot of that in cancer not uh we do but in my current setting at the moment we don't have a lot mm-hmm. because at the moment i'm in the chemotherapy day unit so a lot of my patients would have either had surgery and they come the, in for chemotherapy. They've got the plug or whatever it is? Uh, they've got what they call is an infuser port or a port, line. Port, yeah. Yep. So a little infuser port it just goes under the skin. There's a little rubber and a metal casing around it. You can feel for it, put your needle in there and off you go. Yeah. And some of them will still come and have a needle in their arm which is a normal cannula and then after treatment take the cannula they go home and they're back a week two weeks or three weeks based on the regime that yeah. they are having and i guess from my perspective with our oncology patients they we see them at any point in the treatment journey in the cancer journey that could either be chemo surgery radiotherapy or they've had some surgery, chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And in oncology, where we're moving now, I don't know if you've known people that's had chemotherapy yeah. 10, 20 years ago. Oh, no, not no, that long. No. No. So people, uh, if you go back 10, 20 years ago, people used to feel very sick, oh. vomiting, choke. Right, so that doesn't happen around. anymore? Uh, we can actually say these things doesn't happen anymore. Oh, wow. The advances in medicine and those anti-sickness regime that we give people, it's really good. Yeah, right. But they're so good that they give you constipation. Ah, oh, right. <laughs> so you fix one thing, you create another. Yeah. Medicine is always this way. Yeah. And also these days, we're moving a lot more towards biological therapies and immunotherapies. And the side effects is less compared to chemotherapy. Mm. So quick... The uh, biological therapies and immunotherapies, you're basically asking the body to try and attack those cancer cells. Yep. So, hence, the side effects is less. But with the biological therapies and immunotherapies, you have to wait. You need to give a certain amount of the treatment, and then you see what's happening. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And I think when you come to chemotherapy, they've got multiple lines of chemotherapy. And you can have X amount of chemotherapy and then you need to move to another regime. Mm -hmm. And I think with chemotherapy, the whole idea is you're trying to stop the cancer growth. Once you've managed to stop the cancer growth, 
you can do a maintenance or you can do a watch and wait yeah and in terms of how aggressive it is it will all come down to your type of tumor and whether it's a solid tumor or is a hematological tumor so now we're talking about two different types of cancer you've got a blood cancer or a solid cancer your oncology is more to do with solid tumors mm. blood cancers is more to do with your blood disorders now with blood so your your tumor cancers are like your lung cancers prostate yep. cancers prostate lung bowel breast, bowel yep. And, and then your, your blood cancers are... Uh, um, leukemia, leukemia, lymphoma. Yep. And those people with leukemia and lymphoma, you, their, their treatment is quite aggressive mm-hmm. because you get really good responses. So okay. you tend to go in... And do those people get typically more sick than the... Yes and no. Okay. Because it depends on your regime again. Because yep. in the hematology one you do have your regime which is quite aggressive and your regime which is a moderate regime and i guess if you're thinking of sending somebody to a transplant you'll be very aggressive because the whole idea is to try and kill the whole bone marrow and yeah. transplant them and create a new and that hurts marrow. the the bone transplant the bone marrow the bone marrow transplant uh that's painful, they say? No, no, no? it's not. So oh. basically, if somebody said to you, look, I'm going to go and have an autologous transplant. So basically what it is, is we take your own uh, stem cell. So we give you treatment, put you in some remission, take your stem cell and give you some more treatment, kill all your immune system, mm-hmm. give you back your stem cell and let it regrow. So the idea is once you've cleared the stem cell out from disease and you've cleared your body from the disease, having those stem cell back, you sh- your body should pick up and your immune system should pick up completely. Now, with, with stem cells, is there is there some sort of um, uh, moral dilemma behind that? Is there... No? Because it, isn't it, is it like different areas of the world use stem, stem cells more than others? No, the moral dilemma is where people are t- keeping umbilical, oh, umbilical cells yeah, okay. and all these things. And they talk and it, about yeah, it's, and, your, it's life or something. Yeah, And I guess um, when people are talking about a bone marrow transplant, stem cell transplant, we just need to be very clear that these days, you see, when you're doing a bone marrow transplant, you're not taking stuff from the bone marrow and you're infusing it in there. Okay. You're just collecting the cell from right. the person. See, that's what I thought you were doing. Oh, no, no, no. We yeah. don't do that. Uh, so the preparation work to a bone, full bone marrow transplant is very aggressive. So you've got chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and then you're infused. A normal autologous stem cell transplant is very straightforward. You go in collect your blood so they'll spin your blood separate the stem cell and freeze it and then after a couple of weeks you've had some more chemotherapy where you damage all the immune system drop all those cells down and then reinfuse your stem cell and then just wait after two three weeks it usually you have a positive outcome sometimes you may have a negative and if people want information, I would say definitely go on the Leukemia Foundation website 
they've got really good resources and it's all laid out nice and easy and explain the whole process they explain between an autologous transplant and an allogeneic transplant yeah autologous your own stem cell allogeneic from somebody else okay um and do you do you have the same patients regularly is that how um, it works yes you do develop relationships you do because you're when you're on chemotherapy it's not a short term it's usually long term so you tend to develop a relationship with them and you develop a relationship with them so that you can walk along with this patient in their chemotherapy journey and sometimes a patient will come for three months four months six months and sometimes you can have the patient coming in for years yeah now do you get attached yes you do get attached and i guess in a day center you have to be able to move your emotion from yes you've just ha- we've just had a very bad outcome we things is not working so you have to get to feel the empathy and everything and then you have to move that when you move to the next one they're finishing it's their day there's just a last day of chemo yeah they're finishing and they've got the all excitement so again they want you to be sharing these part of the excitement and i guess in oncology sometimes you do put some walls in but sometimes you can't really put too much wall because you need to build a long-term relationship with your patient so yeah. that you can give that treatment effectively and Yes, you do get to know the patient in and out as well. And at the same time, you have to try and respect that boundaries of the host-patient relationship because otherwise you'll get attached. And then two years, three years down the line, you won't be able to function. Yeah. If you can imagine every time you walk in, you think, okay, this is where I've lost one patient X. And it's just a build-up. And I guess as nurses, we do have the support network out there as well. And the hospitals that provide counseling and things for that so if ever the nurse does get stuck and they're feeling low it's good to talk about it i think it's one of those things that a lot of people sometimes they don't talk about their feeling yeah especially men especially men and we've seen that along the line and i i think you've got the generation of men that was told to you need to go work you can't winch yeah so what do we do go work you got sick you don't whinge it's almost like by now it's like in our dna or something because um i mean i probably my dad probably was like that like don't cry and that but i just i see it so much in everyone that i feel like it's it's more than it's kind of more than a learned behavior i think uh it is and i think it's also come down to culturally what is acceptable Mm -hmm. and what is not and if you grown up in a culture where it wasn't acceptable for you to be whinging and crying you will not do it yeah it doesn't matter how much support is there you would not ask for help and how many people we know that suffers in silence because they just don't want to ask for help by the time they ask for help it's too late yeah no it's the same thing like if somebody uh an ex-smoker's got a cough. They'll just put it down to, oh, it's just a smoking cough. Let's keep going, keep working. Couple of months down the line, oh, by the way, like this cough is a bit too late now. You're coughing blood. Let's go and see the doctor. Yeah. And it's too late. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. And also, so the mentality is that sometimes women have, oh, he's just got the main flu. 
yeah. game. So I, I think sometimes uh, culturally we need to be shifting our mindset as well and say, okay, yeah, it's not just a man flu. Yeah, it is a flu, and it's the way we talk with each other and the way we interact, and we just need to be more open and more acceptable. It's a balance because a lot of things, especially like the, the more heavier topics like the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter movement, I think the pendulum swings too far. Okay. okay. So I went to the rally on the weekend. I'm a huge believer in Black Lives Matter. I've experienced racism. My father has, his whole family has. I understand it. I still do to this day. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they've taken... Chris Lilly's TV shows off of Netflix saying that it's blackface or brownface or whatever. And this man didn't go out there and, um, you know, intentionally offend anyone. Like, it is a bit on the nose, but he wasn't being racist per se. Um, I don't think... Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a huge difference between, like... I forget the name of the... the it's like one of the first movies ever made. And it was made... It's like great, the Great America, or uh, yeah. I forget what it's called, but it's all these white people, they're chasing black people around. But the the black people are white people in blackface. Now that is overtly racist. It's not comedy. There's 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 a difference when it when it's comedy. You've got to be able to see see the difference. I agree, and I think you 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 got it right there. Some the problem is we. This pendulum just keeps swinging right and left. It needs to. It does. It does go that far, but it, it slowly comes back. And I think that's where we are with the Me Too. Mm. They were there was accusations, and they were bang. That guy's life is over. There was no, um, you know, court case or nothing. It was just like this guy. He's done. His business yeah. is done. Completely ruined. Yeah. But now, now it's sort of coming back to where people are like, okay, let's wait, let's hold on a second and see all the facts here. Especially when the leader of the Me Too movement, um, Asia Argento, got in trouble for um, sleeping with like a 14-year-old kid. So you need to, you, if you're going to dig into someone's past and all this on one side, you have to do it on the other oh, side. I agree with you. And see... Coming from Mauritius and working in different countries, I think definitely there's a racism is out there, but I also must say that when I was in the UK, I did not experience it. And I guess because I was working in a London hospital, and London, if you really think of London, is this multicultural. Mm-hmm. So they were, the hospital I was at were very acceptable of foreigners. And this is where, again, I learned that it, you, you just need to start learning to accept yourself for who you are. Mm-hmm. Then you can and you need to also accept others for who they are. Yes. And that's what I like with uh, the Dalai Lama and Gandhi. Because those people recognize that you need to have some self-discipline there for you to be able to start accepting other people how they are and not try and change them. And I think this is sometimes where as human beings, we get it wrong because our initial inst- instinct is to survive. Yeah. So you just go into the fight mode. Yeah. So, yes, we do have the survival instinct, but let's take this step back, take a breather, and actually, okay, 
yeah we need to survive yes there's inequality there let's address it use pen and paper you know that like demonstration rallies are all good but once these things get out of control it just makes everybody look silly yeah and that's what i felt at at the uh the protest last weekend was it was moving and there was hard facts being talked about but there wasn't there was no this is the action we need to take there was there wasn't anything like that and it's hard it, how do you know because if we knew the answer it wouldn't be a problem so it is i guess maybe i had ex- my expectations set too high but i don't know I don't know what we were gaining from being there other than sharing information that I personally already knew. Maybe some people needed to hear it. Um, They probably did. But for me, I didn't gain a lot other than I felt like I was doing the right thing for my people by being there. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice, like, you know how when you have a complaint, you write in your complaint Mm. letter and then... You expect them to write back to you with an outcome. Mm. Like, should, we should have something like this where something that really matters to us, we can put it out there so yeah. that it goes right to the top man. And you do get an outcome back. Like, um, a, like when you call the ombudsman. Yes. Yeah. So For racism. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So how many times have you put a complaint in and then you've actually got an outcome and a change has happened? Oh, no change, but I'll get, you know, usually I'll call an ombudsman for telecommunications problems yeah. and maybe they'll pay for a bill or something like that. That's all. That's all. Yeah. But the telecommunication bullshit still sucks. <laughs> exactly. But then it's them not making a change. They acknowledge that there's a problem but we're not going to do anything about it. But so, you see, that's what it is. Again, I'll go back to the fact that it is cultural. So if a kid's been naughty mm. or have done something good, you just give them a little treat. So as ambushment, what they've done, they gave you a treat to keep you quiet. Yeah. So they are not fixing no. the problem. <laughs> no. But I think that is the issue these days we have. Like, uh, if, if you've got this mentality, okay, the problem is too big to save, let's just... Like, give them something to keep them quiet. Mm. But it will resurface. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes, like, it, it, this is how we get a lot of things wrong. And in medicine, it's the same thing as well. You know, like, if you're treating somebody, you have to actually know what is the actual cause of that problem. And that's a, that is an issue that I have a lot with my job is sometimes I feel like the treating health professionals are treating the symptoms, not the cause. And it, it's very frustrating because I'm not really respected as a counsellor. So when I, when I raise that, I get looked at sideways and they kind of get a little bit angry or offended. But, you know, I've got to have the, the patient's needs first, not the feelings of the doctor. And exactly. if I feel that they're, they're treating, like, he's got a sore ankle, so here, here's some pain medication. It's like, well... Have we checked his his spine, hip, knee alignment to see if that's causing his ankle, or are we just going to give him pain medication for the rest of his life? What are we doing here? Exactly, I agree with you, Clay. And look, there is good health professional out there that actually likes to treat absolutely the cause absolutely, but they are very limited. And to be able to treat the cause, you have to actually understand the person holistic 
being. You and need to see them as one person. So as a thing. nurse, because you probably have more face time with a patient than the doctor, right? The doctor's in out. The doctor to me is like a CEO. Businessman, there's sometimes they sometimes come to meetings, sometimes they're too busy. The nurse is there every day. The nurse is the nurse is the admin lady at the front desk. She's there every single day. She knows everything that's going on. Mm. The nurse is always there. This is what I love nurses because they 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 have that care factor. It's not all business to the doc. It's not a rule, but in speaking in generalities, the doctor is too busy to really care. And they, oh, look, it, it does seem this way, that yeah, the doctor is too busy to care. And, and I guess the problem is as doctors, they are limited to, and no, I'm not defending them, they are limited to X amount of minutes for them to see their patient and move yes. on. And honestly, the doctor cannot function without the nurse. Oh, no way. And that's, and I guess this is where strikes happen because of the payment, because the nurse... Then you know, I get paid as much as a doctor yeah. when we spend a lot more time yeah. with the patient. Now, have you ever been on a strike? Oh, no. no? I, I've actually have written to my union and I have actually said, okay, I'm not going to go on strike, but what I will be doing is I want to get paid for this and or we would leave early. Because the thing is, I've always think about it. If I leave my job and go on a strike, who is going to suffer? Absolutely, yeah. The it's patient. my patient yeah. that's going to suffer. I can't just close the unit and say, look, we're not having treatment today, I'm going to go on strike. Yeah. I, I'm a firm believer in pen and paper. And I think if everybody writes something in and write down their complaints, send it through, yeah, it will take 10 months, 18 months, two years, four years. Mm. Eventually, it needs to happen. It needs to be straightened up. Yeah. You know, and... For me, when I go to work, it's about the patient. And remember when I, earlier we talked about the feeling of goodness. There's nothing better for me when of, at the end of the day I look and say, okay, I've done some really good thing. I've alleviated this person's anxiety. I managed to put this person needles. She didn't have any pain. And this person was miserable when they came in. They're leaving the unit. They are happy. Or they've got their smile on the face. I got them to talk. These are those reward feelings that I get. Mm. And I guess that's one of the things that the doctors miss. They don't get these opportunities yeah. to see the feel-good factor. And for me, the greatest moments in nursing is when my patient come in to the hospital as a, on a stretcher and they literally walk out of the hospital. Mm. So that feeling when they come and say, hey, I'm done with my treatment, I'm off now, everything all good. It's like, yes. Yeah. It, it gives you this feeling of being worthy and you've accomplished things and this is one one of the reasons why i get up every day and go to work and i've always said the day i don't want to get up and go to work that will be the day i'll get a fishing rod and go fishing yeah did you did you sort of always know that you wanted to be in the medical field no no i've i guess as a kid growing up i thought i wanted to become a police officer at some point Mm mm-hmm and then I thought, nah. You didn't want to. You did didn't want to beat down your own people for for no reason. <laughs> no, didn't watch you do that. And then I thought, oh dear, let me try as an air steward. I thought that was living the hard life, lying out. Yeah. So did you do that? I actually went for the interview. Okay. So 
I went in and emotions whenever these jobs come up, there's thousands of people lined up. Okay. So I went in, waited for three hours, managed to get there, did the interview, and then walk out. So I've wasted my time. Oh, really? Yeah, my English was shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> so now, what's the what yeah. is the um, primary language in Mauritius? The Mauritius speak Creole. So Creole, okay. English and French. Yeah. And my English was terrible. Like my English didn't get better until I went to the UK. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I'm grateful with because I went to uni in the UK, so I've had to make it better. And yeah, I was able to write English. But speaking English was like, you know how you think of something and it comes out differently? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the same, like, playing basketball in different countries. I've learned, I've never been fluent in anything, but I've learned bits and pieces. And I'll, in my mind, I'll know exactly, I'll know the words, but my tongue doesn't know or something. (laughs) Yeah. I know. It's how how did you manage to express yourself? Because you've played in... Uh, Spain, China, French, uh, French, France. <laughs> um, so how did you learn? And Italy. To, yeah, yeah. How did you learn to bring those words into your mouth? Just time. So the, uh, I got the best at Italian cause I was there for much longer. Hmm. Um, probably about three months all up. So we're, um, whenever I go back, it comes back easy, more easily. And I don't actually think I've been back to the other countries, so I'm not sure, but um, I had a hard time with French, um, even though I got told by everyone, like, it's so similar to English, that'll be, it'll be so easy to learn. I, I had a really hard time with it. I think as well, the, um, when you learn from like in Adelaide, I'm learning from other people that sort of know French. So their accent's not French. French. And then I go to France and I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn French and they're doing the, um, like we say bonjour and they say like they say like bonjour or something like that but you know french is actually the hardest language right yeah so coming from Mauritius, where we learn both english and french Mm. english is quite easy because with english when you're speaking english you can get away without putting your grammar and your verbs in the right place Mm. speak french and don't put your verbs and your grammar in the right place you won't have a clue what you're saying yeah and this is the problem is broken Creole is broken French. Yeah. So the grammar and the vocabulary is not where it's meant to be. So I, I found it difficult when I go to France. It takes me a day to get used to it. Yeah. So then I can't really think in the Creole and then translate because it comes out wrong. Yeah. So I have to just literally like think in French. What am I going to say in French? Yeah. And then bring it up. Is that's, it took me a year or so to be able to speak English properly. Do you think, do you think in English mostly? Yes. Yes. This is... Was as a child? The, uh, no, as a child, no. Because you haven't learned it. We just learned it at school. Yeah. So as a child, your main language in Mauritius will be Creole. Yeah. Then French and English will come down depending where you're working. Mm-hmm. If it's a French company, you'll be speaking French. If it's an English company, you'll be speaking English. Oh, wow. That's how it was. So you go to court, you could have your lawyer that will come and speak French to you. Oh. Now, so in court, now how often were you going to court? 
Uh, no. <laughs> no, not a lot. But I had to try and work out because wanting to become a cop, so I needed yep. to make sure that I was fluent in both English and yes, French. Yes, right. Because as a cop, so this is how you get away with it. So the cop goes and you've just you've just served me, so I'm speeding. So then I'm contested. So you have to go and sit in this court and say, when, why, where you gave me that ticket. So then I could object it. So then if you come in and start speaking English, the lawyer will switch to French. So you can't speak French fluently. Oh, okay. <laughs> so case dismissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so, that's when I realized it wasn't going to be an easy job. Yeah. Come. yeah. So I thought, nah. It's not for me. Yeah. Well, I, even in a, um, you know, a, a country where there's only one language, I don't think being a cop is an easy job. So. No, I don't think it was an easy, yeah. as a cop is an easy job. I must say, I've got lots of family in the police industry. Yeah. They all love what they do. Yeah. But I just thought, oh, I wanted to be something different. Yeah. And I guess in my family, I'm, yeah, I'm the only nurse in the family. And where, I always get, um... I don't know where Mauritius is on a map, and when I imagine it, I the place I always feel like pointing to is Madagascar. Yep, that's good. So Madagascar, you just go to your right. So Madagascar east. is there. So east on the map. Yeah, east and west towards Perth. Okay. So you've got Madagascar there, and then as if you're going towards Perth, so Mauritius is just for down there it's a very small island yeah. so when you look at the globe it's quite a tiny so it's part of africa yeah, yeah. it's part of africa and interesting i watched a documentary it actually showed you how those land got separated and we're definitely part of africa yeah same thing with rayon island and rodrigues those three islands definitely part of africa yeah so Mauritius is also known as a mascarine island so they cover seychelles comores Renio, Mauritius, and Rodrigue. Is it tropical? Yes. Yeah. And uh, so what types of foods would you eat? A lot anything. of fish? Would you eat a lot of fish there? Fish, anything. So Curries? Curries, yeah. So Mauritius is multicultural. Okay. So a bit of history. So firstly discovered by the Dutch. Ah, I've got Dutch in my blood. My so your grandfather. grandfather would have discovered them. But yeah. So then the Dutch and then the Dutch decided that because it's tropical and there's too much cyclone, they abandoned the island. Then the French decided that this island is going to be strategic. So the French took over. And when the French took over, that's when they brought in a lot of migrants, they brought people from Africa, India. Actually, no, the French didn't not. It was English. So... The French brought some slavery there, and they, during that time, because Suez Canal was not open, so all the boat needed to go through South Africa. And between Africa and Madagascar, the sea is so rough there that boats don't go through there. Yeah. They all go around Madagascar. So then the French were just attacking all those English boats. So they decide, the English decided that Mauritius is a key island we need to have. Mm -hmm. So that's when they went and defeated the French, took over the island. So then they named it Mauritius, the key and star of the Indian Ocean. Oh, okay. Is that what it means? Yeah. Okay. So if you look at the Mauritian album, you would see it says key and star of the Indian Ocean. Because for the East Indian Company, 
that island was so strategic because the boat can come sail through South Africa straight onto India without any problem. Because mm. the French was on the Reunion Island, so they could go and stop them from attacking the boat. Did you ever experience any cyclones? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. All the time? A cyclone. Really? Yeah. But so you never went through any damage then? Like, yeah. Yeah. And as you, still, child, you still a, loved it? As a child growing up, I love having cyclones. I don't even like heavy rain. Ah, oh, gee, man. Like, <laughs> have you ever ride your bike in heavy rain? Yes. I used to have to ride to school every day, no matter what, because mum would be at work before I even got up. So, where were you riding? In South Australia? Yeah, just in Adelaide. Yeah, but it's different. If you're riding on an island and it's raining, yeah, it's the best thing in there. Just imagine you finish school, you've got everything, and you start riding, start raining. It's pouring heavily. You've got two choices. One, you wait. Or second, you just keep going. Yeah. I just kept going. Yeah. Just make sure that you put this cool bag in a plastic bag and I kept going. All the puddles, I love it. <laughs> got home and then you got told off for freaking riding in the yeah. rain. Look, <clears throat> Cyclone, I guess growing up as a kid, the reason why Cyclone was interesting was because following a Cyclone, we always had lots of waters in the rivers. Yeah. Lots of fish. You can go fishing, you can go swimming. And What do you catch over there? Uh, we used to eat carp in the fresh water. Mm-hmm. And bream and sit and bass. So I love bream because that's kind of sweet. Mm. Now carp, a lot of bones, right? Yes, but the carps in the rivers are a lot better. You see, in Mauritius we only fish for carp when it's a rainy season. Okay. Which means that there's always high water level and the carp are eating the green. Yeah, you fish with corn. No, no, use worms. Yeah. Worms, yeah. Okay. Or sometimes they will go. There's a weed that they like eating, so we'll just hook that weed in and throw in there. Yeah. So and we will never catch small carp. We we'll always go for the bigger one. The small one will just release them, and the freshwater bass. Mm. They're beautiful to eat. Okay. So we don't have callop there in the freshwater, and I guess these are the three main fish that we'll have. From the freshwater or eel have you ever had eel I've never had eel or actually only like sushi like at a japanese restaurant i've yeah. never yeah so freshwater eel tastes nice as well so we'll have that and fishing in Mauritius is either you use a fishing rod or spear fishing mm. and that was the best part of it high water lots of places to go fishing spear fishing was a favorite one yeah so two three days after the water has come down a bit there we were, and you'll have fish for the right. Yeah. Yeah. And the other good thing was with all the rain, the crops, we always had good crops. Yeah, you'd have your crops that got damaged in the cyclone, but the land is so rich that anything you put there will grow. Yeah. And and it's always nice to have a fresh, clean breeze afterwards, you know. And and I guess it, in a way, it has helped the country to move forward very quickly because we used to have a lot of houses that was built with iron sheets. So having lots of the cyclone has kind of made the government help the people build brick houses. Okay. So stronger houses that can manage cyclones. So technically from the 1960s onwards, Mauritius has had such a big growth in terms of houses being built of concrete and the iron sheet houses not being there and houses being built to a good standard to withstand cyclone. Yeah. 
Do you go? Do you go back much? I haven't been back since two thousand and two. Oh wow! Yeah. Do you have family there still? Yeah, yeah. My dad's side. Uh, oh, all do they come here? Do you see them? No. You don't. Only, I have dad hasn't come here. Only mom came here, but mom lives in the UK. Wow. So, and I guess for me, I'd rather go somewhere else. I'm mm-hmm. going back home because when I first moved into the UK, I went home every year. Okay. Then I realized, hang on. What Spending you doing all here? this money and not seeing the world. Exactly. Yeah. So until I realized that I can jump on a train in two hours, I'd be in Paris. Yeah. And I thought, why am I not doing that? Yeah. Well, that's what we wanted to do, except coronavirus gone in the way. Yeah. Oh, where were you going? We were we we're going to start in um, London. Yep. Go Amsterdam, uh, down to Luxembourg. Yep. Um, Lucerne, Switzerland, Lake Como in Italy, and then we were going to. Uh, just travel by train from the north to the south of Italy all the way down to Rome um, and go home from Rome. Uh, So it was like eight weeks? No, (laughs) three weeks. Uh, Play, seriously, don't be silly, man. Yeah. (laughs) Look, uh, Beck and I, we did that uh, in 2016, 2017. We loved it. We did it for six weeks. Mm. So we did... London, Edinburgh, Bristol, London, Amsterdam. We did a lot of train ride. Loved every minute of it. The lo- the train from London to Amsterdam was so quick. Six hours yeah. train. We were there. Loved it. Um, what I found is because we wanted to see so many places. So we had two nights, one night. And it was a lot of packing. In the end, there's some places where we said, nah, not doing anything, just chilling. Yeah. And my suggestion would be if you can do four nights in one of the, in one place and then move, that would be ideal. Can you extend those holiday? Make it a longer? Um, so what happened? We got most, mostly um, money back. Lake Como, we have to go back to, mm-hmm. um, and we can we can definitely extend that, but that was, um, so that was supposed to happen in April, so we had to cancel it. So we can change it. So we, our plan is, um, we're just gonna keep working and just save up more leave and do the same holiday, but longer. Yeah, do it yeah. longer. So in Amsterdam, so how we many were nights were you going to be in? Amsterdam, we were only gonna do one night because we. You've been to Amsterdam. No, I've never been there, but the only thing that really attracted us was the um the the flower garden. Yep. Uh so we only we were just gonna go there, we we're gonna get there at night. Um no, we we're gonna get there in the morning and we were going to go do like Anne Frank House, stay the night, go and do the garden and leave that night. Yeah. Um but you know, Anne Frank's house, there's a lineup to get in there? Yeah, but you can, uh, you can book now. Okay. You can book because I've I've heard that, and it's like three hour line. Yeah. But I've um now you can book times. And uh, we went to the Van Gogh Museum, mm-hmm. and the lineup was so long that Beck and I decided to go and spend some time across the road yeah. rather than just wasting our time in there. So we came across the bolt distilleries. Oh okay. Gee, we came out of there two hours later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and um, it 
I think Amsterdam, there's so much things for you to do in Amsterdam. I'll definitely, you've never been, make mm. some more of it. Yeah. Four nights. Four nights, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, we're going to definitely extend everything. Mm-hmm. Um, except Luxembourg, I think we already had four nights planned there. Um, would you have Budapest on your list? I, w- I, I've, I would go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I would never say no to anywhere except, um, you know, I've been to... Guangzhou in China yeah. and I just hated it there I'll never go back there but I would go to other places in China I never saw the wall or anything mm. but I would go anywhere I would like to if I could cross off every country before I die I would love to do that yeah Look, see that was one of the things when I first moved into the UK I don't know you've heard of the Paris Dakar yeah yeah so that was on my list of things to do like you can actually get on the tools that will take you along the road. Yeah. So one of the friends that I used to work with, he did that. And listening to his story, like, it feels like it's something you have to do. Yeah. Because the tool is literally like convert a truck. Okay. Yeah, a truck, it's like they've converted it to make it comfortable so that you can have 10 to 15 people in there. And then you just drive all the way down to South Africa and he said it was amazing camping in the night and just like we went with food as well so they were just stopped by a farmer and said oh do you have any sheep or any goats that the dinner was under the sun at night yeah i thought yeah this is needs to go on the list of things to do and say for me like having lived in london and having seen a lot of the european cities i feel like yes they are nice, but a lot of the European cities are pretty much the same thing. So for me, an adventure like this would be, yes, one of the things yeah. to do. Or even going up to Mount Everest. Oh, yeah. As a, even just a base camp, I don't need to go up there. But like these stuff like this, I, I want to try and dig them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now, what time do you have to leave? Oh, well, we'll it's already nine. Nine, so I think we should try and wrap up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. All right, I've got a game that I want to play with you. So every time I have a guest on, I play a game um, for charity. Okay. So do you have a charity that you you like to donate to? Um, Canteen? Canteen? Yeah, do you have canteen on your list? No, but I... I, um, I, I do whatever the guest wants. And today, because of the Black Lives Matter stuff, I'll match whatever you win. I'll match the Black Lives Matter as well. And when I put this, okay. So, uh, where's the mouse here? Now this, oh. This game is called, What Disease Is This? What disease is this? Oh, thanks. <laughs> You do realize that I'm a nurse. So. Yes. Ah. So I'm not um, going to win a lot on this. Well, we'll, see, we'll just see how we go. So this here, um, can I pause this? Why did that go so quickly? Have you seen anything like this before? That looks like somebody's that got a head and neck tumor. Or it could also be a bite. Somebody. So that's, that's an armpit. Okay, no, I haven't seen this one. If it's an armpit, so that is called. Now it's all it's all in this sort of Latin looking stuff. Hit hydra, 
hydrodenitis suppurativa. And I guess that is, uh, it is a disease where the sweat glands get infected and uh, the issue with it is you can cut it out as many times as you want, but it will always come back. But you could do Botox, Botox with these things. Really? Yeah, look, because okay. with sweat glands, if you, it, if you go in and put Botox in those sweat glands, would that help? Hey, you're the medical professional here. Hey, I'm the nurse. I'm not a yeah. medical... I'm not a doctor, so definitely I'm not going to win any of these. <laughs> I won't get any of these. I'll give, you, I'll give you $5 uh, for your, um, your Botox advice. Now, this one... Uh, I've heard of this, and I have seen a, uh, a documentary about that. So it's basically... They, they call it a tea trunk, some... Yeah, they do tree. call it that. And uh, it basically, I guess the origins of it are from HPV. Yeah. Um, and the, the big name for it is epidermodysplasia verigisiformis or something like that. Um, which, yeah, makes you look like um, you got tree trunks on your body. Mm-hmm. And they cut it and then it grows back again. Yeah, yeah. So just like when you prune your roses, that mm. shit's coming back. That's what this lady... Uh, i got to tell you, I would commit suicide if I had this. Well, if I could. She doesn't look like she's really got access to her fingers. So, no. fuck, I don't know. I, I just wouldn't like to have this one. Um, look, I think, again, it, it opened another debate there is do, do we allow somebody in her situation to go and harvest euthanasia. Mm. And what is the quality of life this person is having? Yeah, like look, she can't even feed herself. There's no, no. way. Exactly, and I agree. And, and I, she looks like a pretty lady underneath, underneath that, but... Um, exactly, look, I accept the, the fact that if somebody in this situation wants to do it, they, as a nurse, we on, we can only support person a person in the addition. We can't advise them yeah. what they can do, you know? Um, oh, what's your, what's your take on, uh, CBD? See, you know, cannabinoid oil. Oh, yes. Okay. So do you have any patients that take it? Um, when you've got cancer and you've been trying everything, a lot of people does come across cannabis, cannabis oil, cannabis medicine, Mm. and there's a lot of things on the internet and I think it can't again come back down to why is this person taking this cannabis oil are they taking to manage the pain and taking this cannabis oil if that's going to be affecting the treatment we're giving them yeah so it's all based on a risk assessment and the we see them as uh, alternative medicine yeah now, there is no concrete evidence that alternative medicine on its own works best. But there's also some evidence that to show that alternative medicine with complementary medicine has provided best outcome for the patient. Like, for example, some people will find it that the cannabis oil ease the symptoms, i.e. nausea yeah. or pain. And but can increase appetite because I think that's a symptom that's, of uh, like uh, chemo. You yes. lose your appetite. You lose your appetite because of the chemotherapy and mm. the steroids. Now, it can increase appetite. 
but then also you need to actually have a look taking too much of that mm. is that's causing problem with that liver to excrete those chemotherapy drugs all oh, right so that's why we always say if you're going to be doing complementary medicine alongside chemotherapy always do it under the guidance of a herbalist or an alternative practitioner mm. i um we know someone that has brain cancer and she uh, I don't even know if I should really say this, but um, she had found somebody that was going to assist with euthanasia, right? Um, because it's untreatable or whatever. And then she found somebody that got her this um, CBD oil and she's she's been feeling much better. Um, so she hasn't gone down that, that, dra- that drastic path but um see brain cancer is an interesting one you could actually based on the location and where it is you can actually treat them and put some person in some types of remission Mm. and at the same time with brain cancer it also depends on where it is like some kind of tumor it's in a location where if you go and have surgery you are likely to cause more problem you could cause right side paralysis or left mm. side paralysis and i guess this is where it makes it difficult like as an oncologist a doctor you giving the patient that the information to make the decision whether okay we'll just have some chemotherapy alongside with some radiotherapy but surgery you can have the surgery but this is all the risk yeah so let's make the decision you know and it is a very hard thing and if you think of it you've got brain cancer one minute you are fine the next minute that tumor has swelled up a bit you've just lost complete sense of your environment yeah in your head you know there's something wrong you're trying to say things but it's not coming out properly mm, yeah or suddenly you've just lost some movement in your arm or feet and I think it is a very hard one to treat and brain cancer tend to affect young people as well. Mm. Um, all right, next disease. That looks like a fungating wound. That is called cancrum oris or homer disease. I don't know. Where did you get that? You do realize that I'm an oncology nurse. No, I didn't know that. I just knew you were a nurse. So I thought, let's let's look at all this shit. You... Okay, I would not be saying this. Show me a fungating wound, a breast wound. Then I'll say, yeah, crazy. that's a fungating breast wound. Let's have a look at this. No, that's the person's got some sort of elephantitis there. And you can see the person's also got some gangrene in the other foot as well. Yeah. So... Um, so that's a double diagnosis. So bonus points mm. for that one. Um, and this, this next one here, have you seen this before? Yeah, that's my, my got in the eye. So it's clearly she's got an infection oh. behind the, uh, eye or the infection could be in the eye socket there. That's where the maggot is coming. Now the beauty of maggots. You can actually, when I was on my uh, vascular placement, we actually use maggots and leeches to treat wound. 
I've heard of this. Yeah. Because they it stops infection or something? Yeah, so basically, you know, if you've got lots of sloth and you've got a lot of infection, you need to do a debridement on there. And if you go in, you know, doing the debridement using surgical method is going to be more uncomfortable or it's a high risk. You can put some maggots in there that will go and eat all those sloughed out. Mm. So usually you count those maggots. They are hospital-grade maggots that comes in. You count them, put them in, right. pack the wound, open it 24 hours later, you'll see your wound be nice and red. Yeah. Because a wound, you want it to look nice and red because that would promote healing. If a wound, you open it and it looks very yellow and sloughy, yeah. that's not going to promote healing because a slough will promote bacterial growth, which in turn will delay healing as mm. well. Because those maggots love the, the sloth. Yuck. Okay. And I've got a bonus question for you here. And this is foul. And you uh, might have seen something like this before. Yeah, that is foul. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to have to blur this on the YouTube because this is uh, X-rated. Have you seen Have you seen this before? I haven't seen it. Has anyone ever life. told you to Google blue waffle before? No. I have well, don't. It, well, that's what you're going to get on Google image search. if you Blue waffle. Yeah, waffle. so don't do it. No. Um, but let's, uh, let's get that off the screen. But um, thank you for coming. No Thanks very much, Claire, for having me. And that's going to be... Um, uh, hold on, how much? 5, 15, 20, 35, 45. $50. So $50... To canteen and um, I'll do another 50 to uh, one of the Black Lives Matter charities. So, beautiful. Well, thanks for coming and you're, you're about to go... No, I'll head out to Wakery for a drive. And Wakery? Be nice. With the kids? and With the kids. Birthday parties. That's what happened when you... Oh, birthday you party. <laughs> like you've got kids birthday party every weekend. Now yeah. Restriction is being eased. So... It will all start again. Yeah, yeah. Belated birthday parties. Know, so you have, yeah, you will have. To... You might have two every weekend. I know. Welcome to what fatherhood. I love fatherhood, but it... are you recording? Yep. Yeah. So I love fatherhood. It does come at a price. Yeah. <laughs> so you sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm feeling that just from having a puppy. Do you do the toilet thing at night and things like that? Or? Yeah, so she wakes us up, which is good. She doesn't go inside. Oh, um, but yeah, she does wake us up uh, between two and four times a night, yeah. which isn't that bad, but I'm I'm really bad at getting back to sleep. So that's that's why I get so tired. I know. So, and, but you, the reward is that you get home and they come running to you and give you a nice hug and yeah. make you feel good about yourself. And, and you have three children? Three children. Yeah. yeah. The two boys... Samuel and William and Annabelle. The Little. baby, how old is Annabelle now? Annabelle will be 18 months now and she's starting to talk and she put two words together wow. now and then. But her favorite word so far has been fish, duck, book, and she try and count. So yeah. when we do the reading, she goes, that, 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 and she does bubble a lot. <laughs> okay. So I'm trying to learn baby words again. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Right, thanks so thanks much for coming. Much. Thanks for having me. Um, is there anything that you want to plug? Do you want to plug your uh, social media or anything like that? No. 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 You're good. All I'm right. Good. No worries. Thanks a All lot. All right. Thanks. All right, cheers.
come to 